1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 53. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 53. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. This is a time of great national rejoicing, as the Israelites consider all that God has done for them, culminating in the establishment of God's presence in their midst in the newly built temple at Jerusalem. This dedication of the temple led by King Solomon is such a special occasion. For vast numbers of Israelites, the heads of households representing every Israelite family, have gathered to pray and give thanks to God. This time of public national worship and rejoicing, led by the king, will actually last for a whole fortnight. It has been estimated that Solomon would have been addressing up to 100,000 people as he gives these words here. And this verse 53 uh, gives us the final words of Solomon's public prayer, which he is offering up on behalf of and in the presence of the representatives of the whole nation. What a blessing to a nation to have a head of state who is a believer and who leads the people in this manner. Solomon is in the court of the temple, in front of the brazen altar. And to address the people, he has mounted a specially constructed open pulpit or scaffold, which is around four and a half feet above the ground. We see from the next verse that Solomon is kneeling down as he prays, and that the palms of his hands are stretched out towards heaven. And he says to the Lord, thou didst separate them, meaning Israel, from among all the people of the earth, to be thine inheritance. So Solomon here acknowledges the very special status of Israel. They were not just one of many nations, but they had been singled out by God from amongst the other nations. They were God's own inheritance, God's own possession. We see in Exodus 19 and verse 5, Exodus 19, verse 5, 
If ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. And so there again we see Israel's special status. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7, we are told this, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loveth you, and because he would keep the oath which he sware unto your fathers, therefore hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, We see that Israel was unique. The Lord had chosen to set his love upon this particular nation. They were rescued from slavery in Egypt by God's own hand. They became the one nation who were God's own people. Now, the profound significance for us today as we consider these things, as we consider this special status of Old Testament Israel, is to realise that this corresponds to the status of the true church today. The church of Jesus Christ, comprising Jews and Gentiles, is made up of those who have repented of sin and trusted in the Saviour. They and they alone are God's own people. They and they alone are God's true Israel. This is plainly taught by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 and verse 29, where Paul says, If ye are Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, as according to promise. And so, all those who believe in Christ, Jew and Gentile, are the true seed of Abraham. The Christian, therefore, is an Israelite, not because he has physically descended from Abraham, but because... He trusts in Jesus Christ. That makes him a true descendant of Abraham. And so we must understand our special status as belonging to the church of the Lord Jesus. We are the sons of Abraham according to the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. We are sons of Abraham because we have been born anew in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Abraham's son Isaac was, in a certain sense, not his offspring simply by physical descent. Because Isaac was born when Abraham's wife, Sarah, was past the age of childbearing. And so Isaac was miraculously born in the power of the Spirit. It was, of course, not a virgin birth, but it was a miraculous birth. And this took place as Abraham believed God's promise to give him a son. Now, Abraham uh, did have another son, Ishmael. But Ishmael's line is not reckoned as belonging to Israel. So, even in Old Testament times, Israel's genealogical origins began not with a natural birth, but with a spiritual birth. The line of descent which formed the nation of Israel was not through Ishmael. It was through Isaac. Now Paul speaks of this in Romans 9 and verse 8. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. It is not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed. And so everyone who believes in Jesus Christ becomes a true son of Abraham, one who has been born anew by the Holy Spirit, having believed God's promise. Physical descent can make no one a child of God. And this, of course, also teaches us that you cannot be born a Christian. You can be born a Muslim or a Hindu, but you can't be born a Christian. You have to become a Christian. Even if a child has Christian parents, that child is unregenerate with a sinful heart. They have to be born again in the power of the Spirit. It is not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed. Those who believe God's promise are the true seed of Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know therefore that they which be of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. They which be of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. So those who believe in Jesus Christ today are God's Israel, the true descendants of Abraham, those in covenant with God. Now, in the Old Testament, 
to demonstrate that the Israelites were in covenant with God, God required that Abraham and his descendants underwent the rite of circumcision. In New Testament times, to emphasise continuity with the Old Testament, the imagery of circumcision is carried on in order to describe the Christian's experience of entering into covenant with God. And so it is a plain declaration in the New Testament that those who believe in Jesus Christ are the circumcised ones. Colossians 2, verse 11. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In Christ ye were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands in the putting off of the body of the flesh. So all of us, if we have trusted in Christ, have been circumcised in this spiritual sense of which Paul speaks there in Colossians 2. We have received the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and the flesh, our old natures, inclined to sin, have been cut away and subdued as we came to Christ and received new life. So the believer in Christ, be he Jew or Gentile, has experienced within him that which the Old Testament ceremony of circumcision externally symbolised. So in the New Testament, Paul teaches that spiritual circumcision is the sign of being truly saved. Philippians 3, verse 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. He says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the circumcised ones, the true Israelites the people of God. Physical circumcision marked off Old Testament Israel from all the other nations. It was the badge of their separation and unique status. Likewise, today, those who have believed in Jesus Christ and who have been inwardly circumcised have become separated from the rest of men. And so a Christian is one who is by definition separate from the rest, separate from the great mass. So much false teaching today conveys the notion that Christianity is all about togetherness and inclusiveness and it's all about creating a wonderful worldwide global international harmony nothing could be further from the truth 
The Christian faith is about separating from the world. Not about bringing all the world together. And as we see our world gradually drift towards one world government, that's not something that Christians can support. To be a Christian is actually about separation from the rest. A Christian is one who belongs to those who are God's people. The rest of mankind are not the people of God. And that is the true distinction within the human race. One is either a child of God or not a child of God. Our Lord told his disciples in Matthew 10 and verse 22, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. He did not tell them you must work for one world togetherness. You must establish institutions such as the United Nations. No, he said ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And when our Lord prays to his Father concerning those who believe in him, in John 17 and verse 14, he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So a Christian is one who has deliberately left the world with all its sin and Satan-inspired philosophies. Believers in Christ are uniquely the people of God. Before conversion, each person was outside of God's kingdom. But faith in Christ brings the believer into the kingdom of God, which creates a separation from the rest of the world. And so... Those who believe in Christ belong to God's people, Israel. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Ye were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel before your conversion to Christ, Paul says to the Ephesians. Ye were strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye that once were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So Paul is saying there in Ephesians 2 that as believers, we now truly belong to God's people, to Israel. Not Israel according to the flesh, but spiritual Israel. And as Spiritual Israelites, we are separate from all other men. We have a unique status as God's own people. Now this is exactly what Solomon is stating here in this verse 53. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. 
And so to become a Christian is an act of separation. And Christians must take care to maintain their separated status. This is why the Apostle John says in 1 John 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And again, emphasising the need for separation. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And then he goes on, verse 17, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So becoming a Christian is a call to be separate from the world. And tragically, churches frequently teach the exact opposite of this biblical principle. We must endeavour to maintain a real separation from the evil, Christ-rejecting world around us. So what Solomon refers to here in this verse 53 about Old Testament Israel's separated status applies to all true Christians today. We have been separated from the mass of humanity, having been redeemed from the kingdom of this world, from spiritual Egypt, where once we were in bondage. Because notice uh, in this verse 53, how Old Testament Israel's existence as a nation began with being brought out of slavery in Egypt. So we see in the second half of this verse 53, As thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So a Christian is one who has been brought out of spiritual Egypt. Old Testament Egypt symbolises this God-rejecting world. What is a Christian? One who has been released from slavery to this God-rejecting world. By faith in Christ, believers become God's Peculiar treasure above all other peoples. And so that is our special status. This special status is brought out by the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light, which in time past were no people, but now are the people of God, 
So Peter tells us there what a true Israelite is. One who, unlike the rest of men, has obtained mercy through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Solomon, as he prays to the Lord at the dedication of the temple, is actually foreshadowing all these precious New Testament truths. Because Israel's unique status as the people of God foreshadows the unique status of all those who are saved through faith in Christ. Now verse 54, we read, And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. In verse 55, he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice. So, having completed his prayer of dedication for the new temple, Solomon rises from his kneeling position and he addresses the whole congregation with a loud voice. His kneeling in prayer was an apt symbol of his own creature status before the all-holy creator God. What a privilege it was for the nation to have this godly ruler publicly humbling himself before the one true Trinitarian God. Verse 56, this is what Solomon says to the nation with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he hath promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. God had promised the people centuries earlier through Moses that he would bring them into a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey, that he would drive out the land's former inhabitants, that he would give them secure occupation of the land from all their enemies. And so God had also promised that he would choose a special place within the land where he would manifest his presence to the people, where he would receive their worship. And that place would be the temple which Solomon has just completed. So now in the time of Solomon, Israel enjoys secure possession of the land. The nation's security from its enemies has actually made possible the building of the temple. David could not build the temple because he was always at war. But now 
The promises of God to the people through Moses have been gloriously fulfilled upon this day. Not one word of God's promises has failed. But again, this applies to us as Christians today. The Christian can declare with Solomon here in verse 56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. We as spiritual Israelites have been granted God's rest. By rest, we mean security, well-being, protection from our enemies. The believer in Christ has rest and security from the enemy kingdom whose ruler is Satan. The believer in Christ has rest from the condemnation which God's holy law requires. Just as the Israelites were physically safe in the earthly Canaan, so the Christian believer is spiritually safe in the kingdom of God, having become a citizen of the heavenly Canaan. The Lord Jesus Christ declares to non-believers who are realising their sinful and hopeless condition before God, this is what the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You see, all without Christ are labouring under the burden and guilt of sin. They're slaves to the world, the flesh and the devil. But Jesus Christ will give them rest. This is what Solomon is saying here in this verse 56. Blessed be the Lord that have given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. The Hebrew word translated rest is the same word as in Psalm 23 where it is translated still. He leadeth me beside the still waters. It is literally the waters of rest. Psalm 23 verse 2. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are under the protection of the good shepherd who maketh them to lie down in green pastures, who leadeth them beside the still waters, the waters of rest. The believer in Christ has all that is needful for the well-being of his soul. For sinful men to enjoy the rest of God, the problem of sin must first be dealt with. The justice of God must first be satisfied. And this was done when our Lord shed his blood upon the cross as a representative man, bearing in man's place the penalty 
for the sins of the world. So as Solomon dedicates the newly built temple, we learn so much about the unique status of the believer in Christ today. Israel had this unique and separated status as the people of God. They were circumcised as a sign of being in covenant with God. They were a nation separated from the rest of the nations. In the same way, all today who believe in Christ become uniquely the people of God, his own possession, separate from all other peoples. Never believe the lie which you often hear that all mankind are the children of God. That's a satanic lie. Believers in Christ are circumcised within. They have undergone a spiritual circumcision as they receive the Holy Spirit and have their hearts transformed. And so Christians today are the circumcised ones, just as Old Testament Israel was. The believer in Christ is saved by means of the shedding of blood. The believer in Christ is granted God's precious rest. He is secure from all his spiritual enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. We should rejoice in the special privileges which we have as Christians, as God's true Israel. We enjoy a unique, separated status as the seed of Abraham, as the Israel of God, those who exclusively belong to him, we, like Old Testament Israel, uniquely have God dwelling in our midst, even in our hearts. We are safe in his rest unto all eternity. Israel was separate from all other nations in Old Testament times. Believers in Christ today are God's true Israel separate from the rest of man. To be a true Christian is to come out of this world and then to remain separate from this world. And so our calling as Christians is to maintain our separated status. And that means rejecting the attitudes and the philosophies of the God-rejecting society all around us. It means not conforming to the spirit of the age. It means not accepting as truth the propaganda which we receive every day from the media. We are separate from this world. 
a Christian by definition, has left this whole world system and its whole way of thinking. We are separated unto Christ. We are those who uniquely enjoy the rest which God has given to us, the security which he grants. But we must also take care that we maintain our separation from the world. Amen.